All right. Uh, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Friday update. We're going to go ahead and apologize if this is a disaster, <laughs> trying to have everyone gather around. The entire Middle Tech team is uh, together for the weekend, so we wanted to come to you live, uh, all of us together. So to start off, Nate, uh, I'm going to pass it off to you. Do you want to go uh -huh. over the sponsors that we have for for this Friday update? Let me, I can talk some more. I need a little <laughs> bit more time. I would love to go over the sponsors. Yeah, please do. So lucky to be sponsored here by two great sponsors on today's Friday update. We have Kentucky Innovation, KY Innovation, as well as Bolt Marketing. KY Innovation is our presenting sponsor for the entire year of content. Um, this year, they enable us to bring all of these stories to you. So thank you to KY Innovation. Check them out. They do a lot of great programs for entrepreneurs, founders, investors, anybody innovating within the state. And Bolt Marketing. Bolt is a full-service marketing agency based in Lexington. Um, they focus specifically on brand and websites, um, and they're expanding their services through some great partnerships as well. They made our website, uh, check out Bolt Marketing. Founders shouldn't be focusing on their brand, but building their business, and Bolt will cover that for them. I love it. That's great. And anybody that's listening right now, if the, uh, if the audio is terrible, let me know, and I'll just straight up selfie it, and we'll do it that way. Um, but let's, uh, let's start talking about some of these stories we got coming up. So, uh, with the first story we want to dive into is all the controversy going on with the PGA and this new golf league, the, is it the live or the LIV? We're calling it the LIV, I guess. I'm not sure. All right. Well, I'll let Evan <laughs> kick this conversation off. Uh, we'll start there and then dive deeper. Yes. Yeah, so I started to hear from just family and friends into golf about, uh, this new league backed by the Saudis, which I thought was interesting. So just wanted to touch on the story because it is a big deal in the sports industry to have uh, a country basically start to back professional sport and build a league around it. So uh, what we're talking about is the LIV League, which is backed by the Saudi Arabian government, uh, is trying to basically take uh, PGA players and give them a new league to play in, new tournament styles, new payment methods, and they are basically giving them uh, so much money that these golfers can't turn down the deal. And so, for instance, they are rumored to have given Phil Mickelson $200 million, uh, Dustin Johnson $125 million to play uh, in this league, uh, which totally changes the game and kind of brings up uh, another side of the argument, which is are people accepting money over uh, moral, uh, what, what would be the, the term? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just dealing with the Saudi government uh, yeah. in general makes it, a little bit hairy. Yeah. Um, I think so. I grew up wanting to play for the PGA, so I grew up really. really yeah, I mean, I was a I was a high school golfer. I wanted to play in college really bad. I just wasn't quite that good. Um, but that being said, I grew up really admiring the uh, the PGA Tour. So from my perspective, uh, I see the, what's the word I'm looking for? I see how prestigious the PGA Tour is. Things like the Masters, things like, uh, um, well, the Masters is the, the main tournament that comes to mind when thinking about what, what I would want, hate missing out on the most by getting suspended from the PGA. But at the same time, I do like the competition and kind of forcing the PGA's hand to make some changes because there are some players that have been very outspoken uh, about, you know, rules that they don't like with the PGA, the way that the PGA kind of handles player relations and things like that. So I think introducing competition into that is a good thing. The only thing I don't like about it is that it's with the Saudi That's government. Yeah, so that, that complicates things. Nate, what's your, yeah. what's your take on it? I mean... It, it's hard to turn down $200 million for just a couple months of playing or something like that. Like, it's, 
I honestly don't know if I could blame the the individual players who are making anywhere near that amount of money. And competition is always a good thing. We're seeing a lot of sports leagues starting to see competition, um, you know, in, in various sports. I think that it's interesting that the the Saudis are, are have put this together, and I'm not quite sure what the, the end goal is, honestly. Obviously, their sovereign wealth fund has a ton of money. We saw that skyrocket um, tech valuations a few years ago. Um, but that, you know, startup investing kind of makes sense if they're trying to diversify their portfolio. I guess uh, entertainment league, a sports league is also just a portfolio diversifier. Um, but it's just interesting that they're they're putting these kinds of resources behind just a golf league. Um, but overall competition, I agree, is good. But it's interesting to see how this plays out and if they'll copy it in, in other sports. Yeah, I mean, Shane's got a good point here. I want to call out what he's saying in the comments. They're attracting a lot of attention and exposure for tourism. Uh, so that's that's definitely one one dynamic of this. And then he also pointed out that, you know, big companies, Facebook, Twitter, uh, other tech companies, I know that Elon has even had tweets about taking money from the Saudi government. So it's not like it's uncommon. Um, I don't know how I feel about that, though. What do you, Just in general, how do you feel about companies taking money from a government like Saudi Arabia? Yeah, I mean, it's been happening for a while. Uh, I mean, some of the biggest companies that we've been hearing about raise massive rounds some of that has been from yep. you know saudi money uh it's just that you know the 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 saudis are trying to figure out ways now with these entertainment brands that you know there's there's no clear path to profitability uh they're trying to just improve their brand uh they do it with soccer leagues you know they do it with all kinds of different sports where they'll buy a league and uh basically use that as what people think of them for rather than what's controversial in the news uh related to you know journalism or gay marriage, whatever it might be, uh, they're trying to cover that up with other reasons to have good branding. Um, but we'll be interested to see what happens. The PGA is in a really interesting spot. Uh, they're kind of looking desperate in a way right now, uh, telling players yeah. you know, what, to, what to say on the interviews. And um, they're kind of using their prestige to uh, maintain their brand. And I'm not sure that that is something that is super attractive anymore is prestige i think people just want entertainment and what uh what's right uh as far as like entertainment uh and uh competition goes i think the liv league that is uh you know growing rapidly is proposing some really interesting new rules within tournaments and ways to conduct tournaments i think that are innovative so i think it's actually in a way a good thing for the league i think it'll always uh be pga but you know there needs to be competition in any market and uh, the last thing I'll say is the PGA actually doesn't own the rights to a lot of the, the majors that we think of. Mm. Uh, and so these majors are allowing LIV players to be in those majors, which whereas before you just had to be in the PGA to play in some of these uh, major tournaments. But now you, it doesn't matter what league you're a part of. They're allowing players from different leagues into these majors because the PGA doesn't control them anymore. So, uh, you know, there is a there is room for in the market for liv whether it's profitable or not i'm not sure they care uh but it is kind of a danger to the pga to have a competitor that doesn't care about profit yeah so we'll see what happens yeah definitely one of the most interesting stories to be following in the sports world uh, but let's move on to this other story and this uh this headline kind of cracks me up whoever wrote it uh it says meta's workplace supersizes its user base with mcdonald's deal um so nate do you want to give us the rundown on on what's going on over at facebook and how they're working with mcdonald's yeah, so Meta, I'm not sure what the name of the product is now, honestly, but it might workplace. Just, just workplace. It used to be called Facebook Workplace. 
I mean, it was a version of the Facebook social network where you would create a professional profile um, and it had similar features to a Slack or a Microsoft um, Teams where you would you could communicate, you could see people's profiles, it would link to documents, things like that. Um, so they kind of just started in a, in a small beta um, with some different startups, but now it seems like they're getting an enterprise sales and they have their largest client ever with this McDonald's deal. Um, that was signed or announced this week. Uh, McDonald's employees, obviously thousands of corporate um, employees across the globe. My kind of take on this is like good for McDonald's. I'm sure they got a sweet deal uh, from Meta on, on this. But this is always going to just be a, a secondary or tertiary product for Meta. Um, it's going to be deprioritized um, all the time um, when other products um, have more pressing needs. And I don't know if I would want to... my employee communication to rely on that. I would want something that was more top priority for, for that vendor or that provider. Um, that's just my take, but they probably got it for really cheap. So it might've been a good business decision on the, on the books uh, for this year for them. Yeah. I'm wondering, uh, are they going to incorporate all their metaverse technology with, <laughs> I hope uh, <laughs> with these collaboration softwares? Evan, I know you're a big, a big Slack guy. So uh, how do you feel about Meta getting into the same space and getting into workplace communication? Um, I've seen the product; it's pretty nice. Um, I uh, I haven't used it for one of my businesses, but uh, I uh, I think the main thing we're trying to paint here is just that there's so much that Meta does. People don't realize that they sell B two B software, um, and there's a lot of businesses that that use it because it's like kind of everything in one place. It's like an intranet. It's uh, you know got chat communication. It's got all kinds of ways to share content. And, and, you know, to your point, I do think that they're going to start to incorporate the metaverse into this. Uh, Slack is not invest investing in the metaverse, uh, but Facebook is. So it'd be interesting to see, you know, how they leverage enterprise software and make it, make it different. Do you want to be in the metaverse with your, your coworkers, Liv? Uh, well, I mean, we kind of already made that decision when we said remote work is going to be a thing. It doesn't matter like yeah. where you consume your work content, it's just the fact that you're, you're remote. So if there's yeah. a way to better consume content and communicate, then yeah, I'll do it. There's, there's that one video I know that's popular of Mark Zuckerberg showing off, um, their, their work metaverse feature. I think it was on good morning America. Um, I know he's talking to the interviewer and then they, they both put an Oculus on and they're sitting around the table all of a sudden in a, in a conference room. Um, what like I right now I just don't see any benefit to that over just getting on Zoom with your coworkers. Honestly, it seems more like a distraction right now. I think the technology has a, a long, long way to go before being in a virtual physical space would be more collaborative than just being on video. Yeah, I think I mean when you combine tools like uh, Zoom versus Miro or any of these other collaboration tools, for now that's better than getting fully immersed in this kind of metaverse. But I agree. Once the once the tech catches up a little bit, then I could see that being the go-to collaboration software if, if working in the metaverse truly turns out to be more productive. But I don't, as of right now, that'd be hard for me to want to make a switch to uh, as, a view, as opposed to continuing to use something like Slack. Yeah. Um, let's talk about this last story, and that's Apple's buy now, pay later feature, Apple getting into fintech. Uh, Evan, why don't you start by giving us a rundown on this story? Uh, yeah, so Buy Now, Pay Later has been growing over the last several years. A firm is the biggest player in the space. Square acquired Afterpay, which is the second biggest player in the space. And so 
you're starting to see these banks and these pay now, buy now, pay later providers grow rapidly. And it's growing rapidly because it's giving consumers a new way to purchase items that's very convenient for them and actually doesn't cost them um, much more than if they were. Otherwise, there's no fees associated unless you pay late. So uh, it is a use uh, a unique way to uh, buy products and it, it's, it's kind of taken off. Uh, and so what Apple's beginning to do is build their own fintech uh, stack. So previously they've been relying on companies like Goldman Sachs and several other vendors for providing their uh, infrastructure around their, their banking products. And now they're starting to build their own. And this is one of those that they're launching uh, that they've completely seems like built on their own uh, using uh, some other vendors, but this is the beginnings of them uh, doing their own tech stack with some help. Uh, and really what's going on here is Apple is using Apple Pay uh, wherever they are, uh, wherever Apple Pay is accepted, you can pay, uh, use buy now, pay later. It's a really big deal because Apple has a ton of distribution and, and vendors already accepting Apple Pay. Uh, and so they're really, they're just kind of layering this in as a new payment method, uh, which is going to be uh, really interesting to see what the uptake is. Uh, so Affirm, again, the biggest player in the space, uh, their stock fell pretty significantly on the on this news because Apple has so much distribution and Apple Pay is accepted in so many places that uh, as a user, it's going to be easier to go with Apple Pay than Affirm, more than likely. Um, so that's kind of what Apple does is they watch a space, they see how it's growing. If it's picking up and consumers want it, uh, then they enter that space in a really big way. And this is, you know, the, the fintech version of what they've done previously with products. Uh, this is a big deal. Uh, the banking and fintech space is one of the most lucrative spaces in the tech industry right now. It's growing faster than anything else in the tech industry. Uh, and so Apple's making sure that they do it right. Uh, by taking their time and doing it their own way with their own tech stack. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how, you know, Apple adapts uh, over time and uh, becomes a financial services company. It's a pretty big deal. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, have either of you guys uh, made a purchase using the, the buy now, pay later, whether through uh, a firm or Klarna or any of this? Yeah, uh, through Klarna, Klarna, it's pretty easy. I did it on Google Chrome. They have an extension. I just put in my debit card information about me, and it, like on the checkout page, um, just ran a check real quick and then mm -hmm. was able to check out through the extension. Like the, the user experience was, was super, super streamlined. And that's what Apple's going for on the iPhone as well. Yeah. I use PayPal It's a little, it's a little clunky, but, um, PayPal, just like Apple is integrated into a lot of checkouts. Yeah. And I use PayPal for a few things and, uh, I did buy now pay later to just try it out. Um, I mean, it's nice. Uh, you know, I don't know if I'm the, my buying styles, I'm, I'm already pretty, frugal. So if I buy something, I know I have the money for it. And I, I pay for it all up front, but I just wanted to try it. And it was interesting. You know, if I'm, uh, if somebody has, you know, the majority of the United States lives paycheck to paycheck. Mm. So that's just something to consider and, and keep in mind that, uh, that's why credit, you know, is so important in the United States, credit cards, uh, it's a big market. And so Apple knows how big that market is and, uh, they're going to, uh, enter it. And I think, uh, buy now, pay later is definitely a better experience than uh, credit cards. That's what, think so that's too. what I think, you know, it's just yeah. more transparent. It's more organized. It's very clear, mm -hmm. uh, clearly communicated. And it's already, it's just seamlessly built into to checkouts. That's the big difference is that credit cards is its own like third party that you have to manage outside of uh, your checkout experience. But with, uh, with these buy now, pay later, it's fully integrated at the checkout experience with these digital payment methods. And so this is a, really kind of a threat to credit cards long-term more than anything else. Mm. Uh, and people need to think of it that way. 
Yeah, I was, uh, I did the same thing as you. I kind of, I made a purchase using buy now, pay later just to test it out and see what it was like. So I think I bought like a mattress uh, with it was my first purchase. And two things that I've kind of noticed from making a purchase using buy now, pay later. One, uh, for a purchase like a mattress that, you know, I knew I was going to always have the money to, to make those payments on. It's like 60, $60 every time the payment hits or something. Uh, one, it's just, it, it's so convenient and easy and like, I don't have to do anything. Like Evan said, it's, it's just taken care of. It just takes the money out automatically. And I know to expect that. But two, when I go and look at my credit score, that's actually contrib contributing to improving my credit score, uh, which is, I think is kind of a, a good benefit that many people don't necessarily talk about with buy now, pay later, but also want to have a conversation about what are the downsides of this? Yeah. Like what is, what could go wrong with uh, an entire generation having really easy access to buy now, pay later. And yeah, firm, I'll say real quick, I know a firm, I, I studied a firm a bit and a firm ran a study to check whether or not uh, their tech, new technology is improving the buying experience for consumers. And if it does, then are consumers buying uh, more things or in increasing their, their cart size when they check out uh, on, a, on a merchant. And uh, it came back that it did. So mm. these buy now, pay later platforms are improving the consumer experience to the point that people are buying more things and buying larger purchases because they can pay it over a payment plan. And it's kind of a mental thing. They could already do that on a credit card. It's just the credit card doesn't automatically break it up into payments for them in a really organized, yeah. transparent way. And so it's improved the consumer experience to the point that people are buying more stuff. And so what that means is that Amazon, <laughs> Shopify, you know, all these places where people buy goods uh, and sell goods, the vendors selling the goods want to use buy now, pay later because it increases their cart size and people mm -hmm. buy more stuff. But then also more people come to that platform because they're offering buy now, pay later options. And so what a firm did was they did a study on, does it benefit the entire ecosystem? The answer is yes, uh, but that is right now when it's still early in its uh, kind of life cycle as a new technology, we'll see long-term what happens, but this is no different than credit cards. So the argument would probably be, well, people are going to lever themselves up and get too much debt on things they don't need to write off or, or get debt for, uh, but they could already do that with a credit card. So uh, this is just, you know, a, a new form of credit card. It's not anything new. It's just making it easier. Uh, so that, that kind of comes with downsides where it's just easier to get debt. Yeah. And I think, I think Shane brings up a good point just before I transition to you real quick, Nate, he says that, you know, that gives access to 0% interest to consumers who might not have the, be able to get a credit card with, with those kind of interest rates. So I think that's a huge, huge factor as well. Yeah. I think because, um, when you're, to my understanding and, and what my experience with these buy now pay later platforms is when you're kind of applying to to use it you're you're applying on the item that you're buying basis so on average it's easier to get involved with this type of credit than a credit card because you're not applying for a full credit account you're just this amount for this one item mm -hmm. um so on average it, it is easier to to get this than a credit card um and because of how great the user experience is the friction, there's like zero friction to that, which is what a lot of um, people who are arguing against wide adoption of buy now, pay later say. It's it's much easier to get people into debt um, through this stuff. And so if we have proof that it is increasing um, how much people are buying and the frequency with which um, they're, they're buying, I think there is something to be thought of there around consumer protections. It's just so easy to, to just get free cash now. Um, however, at the end of the day, people make their own financial decisions and 
you have to balance, you do have to balance like new tech with consumer protections, but there has to be some, uh, understanding that consumer, like we live in a country where consumers can do what they want and should they buy too much, you know, put themselves in a, a financial place that's uncomfortable. People do have to take responsibility for that. And we can't build our products around the thought that people might do that, which is what a lot of these arguments, um, kind of imply that we should do. So yep. one other thing happening in the, in the fintech space, that's really interesting to me right now that I'm, that I'm studying is, you know, whenever you apply for a loan, for a mortgage or for a car or for whatever it might be a small business loan, there's been like very traditional ways for them to check your credit. You know, they check Experian, they check your credit score. There's all these ways that they've mixed data to see if you're credit worthy. What's changing is there's a lot of fintech companies layering in data sets that have never been layered in to the credit process. And so what they've done is they've opened up the uh, addressable market for, for loans because they can have more data on people and understand, uh, okay, well, the credit system might not approve this person, but I have other data that says otherwise that I can approve this person for a loan. That is a big trend right now where they're using more data to better uh, issue credit, which yeah. I think is really important for our economy because now what you're starting to see is you know, the, the, the economic landscape in America is changing. Like I said, a majority of people in the United States live paycheck to paycheck. So there, there's need, there needs to be innovation around, you know, how do we issue credit? Who's credit worthy? So for instance, one of the big movements in the United States is move to contract work, 1099. Well, you're not bankable if you're 1099, typically. Now, it's really hard to get a loan. And so there's new technology being built that is approving these 1099 contractors in a more uh, lenient way because they have the data to show that they can actually pay this off. They don't need this W-2 pay. So it's uh, it's really interesting. Uh, some of the p people li uh, leading this are uh, Alloy, Plaid. You know, there's a lot of really nice fintech companies here in America and around the world opening up credit for people. And this buy now, pay later movement is integrated with that ecosystem. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I think a good way to summarize what you're saying there is the, <clears throat> the fintech movement is being powered by by data collection and leveraging that data to make smarter financial decisions and using all these APIs to move this data around uh, and allow all of this ecosystem to, to operate together seamlessly. So cool. We'll, we'll wrap that conversation up there. Um, you guys have anything else you want to, you want to add on those, those points No. Cool. Well, before we let you guys go, um, some notes on, on the episodes we have coming out here over the next couple of days tomorrow, we have a weekend thoughts coming out by me. Um, so if you, Follow me on Instagram. You saw that I got to go down and visit Tampa for a leadership visit with Commerce Lexington. Uh, so I sat down and recorded a weekend thoughts about what I learned in Tampa that I feel like could be applied in Lexington. So uh, some good takeaways from my time there that I would love to see uh, people pay pay attention to and start implementing in Lexington um, from, from what I learned in Tampa. And then on Monday, we have an episode coming out with uh, a partner at Newstack Ventures, which is a, uh, a pre-seed fund in Chicago. Um, Nate, I'll let you give the the description on this one since you were on that podcast and you helped us uh, get that guest. Yeah, uh, it's Nate um, Parati based in Chicago. Newstack um, invests primarily in pre-seed, oftentimes pre-revenue. Um, so it was really interesting hearing kind of that perspective of investing um, and the different metrics that they use when evaluating startup um, when the financials just really don't exist yet. Cool. Well, uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Hope everyone has a great Friday and we'll see you guys next week. See ya.